Morning, CLC. How are we doing this morning? Oh, it's so good to be with you. I want to say thank Pastor Stan for this incredible opportunity to share this morning with this great church. You may not know this, but you're a part of an incredible organization called the Assemblies of God. And right now in Ohio, there are 294 churches and about 45,000 people who are worshiping with us this morning as a part of this great family of churches. And globally, right now, sometime today on a Sunday, there are about... Between 69 and 80 million people are the best estimates and about 350 to 400,000 churches where people are worshiping in an Assemblies of God church. And so we're grateful to see what God is doing in and through our movement. Uh, So wonderful, so wonderful to be again. Thanks so much to Pastor Stan and the team uh, for having this opportunity. I bring greetings on behalf of my my family. They're not with me this morning. My wife and I were in California this week and we're away from our kids. And so she said, I've heard you speak before. Um, I want to be with my kids. And so uh, that I see where I fit in the pecking order of things. You know, uh, my wife is a professional counselor. Uh, which is a good thing for me. Um, and uh, I have two great kids. I've got a sixth grader who, who is still sweet. Um, those of you who have middle schoolers know what that is. There's, he's just, we know it's on the horizon and he's not going to be sweet anymore for a little bit. Uh, and I've got an eighth grader who, you know, just let's go ahead and stop and pray, you know. Um, oh man, it's such a, a great time to be alive, to have nothing but middle school in our life. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I got uh, my son, my oldest son, uh, eighth grade, getting ready to be 14 in a couple weeks. Uh, he had some disappointing news this week uh, while we were away uh, in California. And uh, I was just trying to be a good dad. It's about middle of the week and I just texted him and I asked him the question, hey bud, how are you doing? And uh, um, uh, anybody who's got a teenager knows that I... They got, I got a one-word response. Because that's all teenagers know how to speak. They just lose the entire ability to speak a full sentence, right, at that age. And uh, I got the response, though, that was weird. I remember my question was, how are you doing, bud? Uh, the text message I got back was, yeah. <laughs> that is not the answer to that question. <laughs> Uh, very confusing, very confusing. He actually answered a different question. If I'd asked the question, are you doing okay? Yeah, it would be a, a, a short but appropriate response. I asked the question, how are you doing, bud? And I got, yeah, you answered a question I didn't even ask. Anybody ever have that happen in your life? Oh, boy, I've had that happen in my life. Um, When I was in seminary, I I was assigned a a big, long paper on my theology of salvation. What do I believe about salvation? And the the structure of the paper had to follow follow this pattern. And basically, we had to start with what is the nature of salvation? What what is the essence of what's going on? We get saved. We're changed by Jesus Christ. And we had to talk about the means of salvation. What is the process? What is the the mechanism that that moves us from, from this to this. And then we had to answer a really big question, which was what is the end of salvation or what's the purpose or the, the goal of salvation? Now, now by this time, I, um, I've been pastoring for a little while. I, I, I've been a Christian my whole life, raised in, in church. 
And uh, it seems like that last question, I had that all sewn up. But you ever have those moments in your life where you um, know something, but it doesn't always migrate fully here? You know something, but you all of a sudden know something. I had that happen. I asked the question, what's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the big point? Now, now all my life, I had heard that um, when you get saved, you get to go to heaven when you die. That Jesus came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from eternal separation from God to spending an eternity apart from God. And all of that is true. There's actually none of that that is false. But, But the challenge with that is that sometimes we confuse the plan of God for the purpose of God. So salvation, I started wrestling with this thing. It was like I was almost, almost answering a, question, a different um, question than what was being asked. What's the point of salvation? Is it just to get to heaven when we die? Is that, is that all that it's wrapped up to be? I just get the sense that there's something more. That yes, it's true that we are saved from our sins and it's true that we're saved from eternal consequences for our sins and we get the opportunity to have life everlasting in heaven with Jesus. But my goodness, it seems like Jesus would have gone to all that work and all that effort and all that sacrifice just to get us to heaven. It seems like there may be something more. See, see, the challenge of, of seeing Jesus only in that way, that he's just there to get us to heaven, save us from our sins, from the situation we couldn't fix ourselves. The challenge with that is that sometimes we turn Jesus into a first responder. I grew up in the home of a police officer and my brother-in-law is a firefighter. Um, and so I grew up nothing but first responders in my life. And, and man, first responders are great. They, they jump in at the moment when we can't rescue ourselves. We have no resources to solve our own problem. We're in our most desperate state. They swing in and they save us, right? And man, when they do that, you talk to people who've been, been saved and in those situations where they've needed those folks forever. From that point on in their life, not only has their life changed, But they're grateful forever for the investment of those folks. But but having grown up in that kind of home, I I know this to be true, that when my dad rescued somebody from some desperate situation, most cases he never saw that person again. There was no lasting relationship there. He saved them. They're grateful. And they parted ways. That can't be what God intended for salvation. That can't be the big picture plan of what God's purpose was for saving humanity. In fact, I think there's probably something more. If you, if you were to track this through all of the scriptures, it seems like God's intention, God's plan was to rescue people from their sins, but God's purpose was to draw them close. You see this actually woven through all the scriptures. In fact, today we're going to kind of take a journey through the scripture this morning. I promise I'm going to get you out on time. We're not going to go like all 66 books here. But, but we do have to start at the beginning. In Genesis, um, you get this wonderful picture. In fact, it's almost the picture of what God really intended everything to be. 
In fact, when he describes uh, creation, he says it's either good or very good. Like he makes everything exactly how he intends it to be. They're walking with God in the cool day. They're doing all this stuff that's really great. But there came a moment when Adam and Eve made a choice that was expressly communicated to them was opposite of what God's intention for their life was going to be. They were told they could have access to all of creation except for this one tree. Instead, because of the temptation of a tempter, they came along and ate that fruit. And immediately they knew, immediately they felt it, immediately they sensed it. There's this rather unique moment in Genesis chapter 3 after they've partaken of that fruit and they've disobeyed God. It's found in Genesis 3.8. It says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's a really, really cool little picture. Um, like I said, we've been in California, Southern California, San Diego this week. And uh, boy, that is just some beautiful country. <laughs> it was very tough to come back um, home to uh, when I got pictures of snow where I live. Um, and it was like 72 degrees in San Diego. You just kind of have thoughts like, maybe I don't go back. Maybe I live here, right? But we, uh, we took advantage of the wonderful weather and we took those evening walks. It's a nice part of the day. It's just really beautiful sun setting. And you get this sense, God is walking in the cool of the day, but what's unique about this walk, it seems like God is walking by himself and normally he doesn't do that. That normally Adam and Eve would join God in the walk. This time, they're not there. In fact, the rest of that verse says that man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. And immediately they knew that what they had done was going to cause separation. That the real, the real root of why sin is so, so bad for us is it's not just a violation of God's holiness, though it absolutely is. It's actually this thing that puts distance between us and God. So God is walking by himself in the cool of the day. He's confused as to why he's walking alone. Probably not confused. That's probably not the right word, but he certainly notices he's walking alone. Now, now um, I'm a parent. Um, when my kids are hiding and quiet, what do you think's going on? <laughs> right? Ain't nothing good happening when they're hiding and quiet, Right? Uh, normally that's the point at which me as a dad, I ring out with the kind of big dad voice. Hey, what's, what you guys doing wrong back there? What you guys doing? Right? Notice that, that that's not the question that God asks. When he finds that Adam and Eve are hiding. Verse 9 says, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? God's taking his regular stroll. And the natural impulse in this moment, they had done something wrong. God knew that. He's not, he's not foolish. He's not, I mean, he's not unaware. He knows exactly what's taking place. And the question that he asked is not, what, what were you doing? What were you thinking? How dare you? The question he asks is, where are you? See, in this moment, God is far more concerned about their distance from him than their status with him. 
Because God's great concern for humanity, the entire reason, I'm going to give you the, the whole big idea, the entire reason he created you and me was to have closeness with him. He made us to be with him. And so in the moment of their sin, in the moment when they, they broke the, the commandment he had given them, his greatest concern was that they were now far from him. It had far less to do with what they had done. Because the sin had separated them. God wants them to be close. If you were to fast forward the story a little bit, uh, you move on to Exodus. Exodus is this incredible story of God saving his people from, from the um, bondage and slavery of Egypt. For 400 years, the people of God had been enslaved in Egypt. They were under this incredibly oppressive rule. And so what does God do? God wants to save them. So he raises up a deliverer named Moses who would face the greatest power of the world that day. And he'd walk into Pharaoh's throne room and he would say, let my people go. And through signs and wonders and miracles and miraculous intervention of God, God would liberate his people from the bonds of Egypt and into what would become the promised land. He would set them up to be in a land to be with them. And as soon as things are, are settled out, there's, you know, the whole Red Sea moment. And then there's this whole, uh, uh, you know, what are we going to eat? And food comes from the sky. What are we going to drink? Water comes from rocks. You know, it's crazy stuff that God does in the wilderness. There's this moment where God gives his law with, you know, the Charlton Heston kind of Ten Commandments moment, right? Just after that, kind of things are settling a little bit. There's this incredible thing that the Bible tells us. If we're careful, we'll, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll actually look over this incredible idea. Exodus chapter 33 tells us this very unique thing. Verse 7 says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pinch it outside the camp, far from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside of the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent and all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. The Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent. And thus the Lord would speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. At this point, the Israelites are mobile. They're nomadic, and so they go from place to place to place. Every time, the whole, uh, whole community would just kind of set up shop. Somewhere along the way, I don't know how it all happened. We don't get all that picture, but we do know this, that God had a tent among his people. You know, God could have, could have showed up in many different ways, right? He could have just hung out in the sky. He could have been this kind of essence. He could have been this kind of force. He could have just been, been, been around at different points. But God chooses to do something really powerful because remember, God's desire is to be close to his people. And so God sets up a tent amongst the tents. God wants to be with his people. He rescues them from slavery. He breaks them out of the bonds of their chains and oppression. And the first thing that he does is he figures out how to live among them and be with 
his people. For Moses, it was to be face to face and speak with him as a man speaks with his friend. Fast forward to the beginning of the Gospels. All the Gospels paint this really incredible picture of what what God does uh, through Jesus Christ on the earth. But John's Gospel has this really cool little opening, a little prologue, kind of little introduction that kind of summarizes all of what Jesus does. And in that little summary that John writes, those first 18 verses, he has these very powerful words. And he says this, he says, the word became flesh. That, that God, through Jesus, took on flesh. Oh, man, that's so incredible. The God of the universe, the one who spoke things into existence, the one who knows no boundary or time or space. He, he knows none of those things, but he binds himself into flesh. And why would God ever do that? It's because when you take on flesh, when you're a person, you're ultimately very, very relatable. The God of the universe wants to be close. So he takes the step and puts on flesh so that we can see and touch and hear who Jesus is. But he takes on flesh and he, the Bible says, it dwells among us. John um, writes these words. He's actually, this little dwells among us is a little throwback. In the uh, original language that John wrote in, he, the, the word here is um, a kind of a, a clunky translation would be he tabernacled amongst us. It's a, a throwback to Exodus. Eugene Peterson, his translation of the Bible, he says that God moved into our neighborhood. God wants to be close to us. God wants to be close to us because he doesn't just want to be a fireman. The Bible says this, in the same passage, he says, but to all who receive him, who would believe upon his name, he gave them the right to be the children of God. In the last moments of Jesus' life on the earth, the Apostle John it's probably about 17 or 18 at this time. He has the incredible honor of being able to overhear Jesus' prayers right before he goes to the cross. And here's what Jesus prays. He says in John 17, 22, he says, the, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. See, God's plan was to conquer your sin. But God's purpose was to draw you close. To draw you close into a relationship with him. And one of the great things about CLC is that you have these values that anchor what you do and who you are. You, you have them and they're driving force. And one of those values, the value that we're kind of focusing our attention on in this day, in this series, is this. The value of intimacy with God. Here's what it says. We share God's desire for an intimate relationship which is cultivated by the consistency of prayer, dynamic worship, and a need for an understanding of the word of God. Now, here's what I believe about you this morning. Is that you want to be close to God. 
that you want to draw near to him. In fact, I don't think many of you would come on a Sunday morning like this one if you didn't have that as a driving force here today. So I believe that you want to draw close to Jesus Christ. But I don't know about you, but I've had my times in my life where it felt like God was really far away or felt like I was disconnected. It felt like it was really hard to, to figure out this rhythm that would help me draw close to God. Many times we understand the what and the why and we sense that. I mean, God wants to be close to me. But the question often that hangs us up is how? How do I cultivate that kind of intimacy? How do I cultivate that kind of closeness with God? Well, God wants a relationship with you. And just like any other relationship that you have in your life, whether it be a spouse relationship, whether it be a a family relationship or a friendship, intimacy and, and closeness is cultivated in the exact same way. Interestingly enough, I'm actually teaching this course at Southeastern University right now, a spiritual formation course uh, with a bunch of, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And uh, we're talking about this stuff. And I remember just even the first week, how do we do this? And all of them were talking about these kind of big grand gestures. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to reorient this. And those things are all fine. But but man, I've learned just in my marriage relationship, my, my closest, you know, human relationship that I have, that the big moments are not where intimacy is most made. Man, the the wedding day was a big day. Anniversaries are a big day. Birthdays and and getaways, those are all really, really good days. But those are not the days that cultivate the most intimacy in my relationships. Here's what actually is true. Extraordinary intimacy is cultivated by the ordinary moments of our life. Listen, extraordinary intimacy with God in your relationship with him, is not made by those big moments, right? It's made by the ordinary moments. In fact, the big moments, which are really, really good and really, really great, tend to be the culmination of about a thousand small moments. And that's what makes them so great. So the question today is, how do we do this? Well, the cool thing is, is that your value statement here at the church actually maps out three things. That if you'll do these three things, man, it, you, will, you will guarantee yourself to be closer to Jesus Christ. There are three things. Ready for them? You're going to be consistent in prayer. You're going to be dynamically engaged in worship. And you're going to be growing in the word. I want to give you a couple of things on each one of these. Let's talk about being consistent in prayer. Prayer really is about three things. It's about a posture. It's about a practice. And it's about power. Posture really is this idea that I'm entirely dependent upon God. How many of you know that you actually can't control anything in your life? How many of you are control freaks and you just give that one to Jesus this morning, right? You actually cannot control anything in your life. So the posture of prayer, first and foremost, is God, I can't control anything. I'm entirely and completely dependent upon you. The practice of prayer. The practice of prayer, what we're doing is we're incorporating God into our everyday moments in life. I travel quite a bit. I'm in different churches every single week. I'm all over the place traveling quite a bit. And so I've, my wife and I have just cultivated this really, really special thing to us, which is anytime I'm on my way home, even if it's 10 minutes or two hours, we're going to talk on my way home. That, that becomes such a special time. Every day when I'm coming my home from work, um, that's the special time that we get to talk. We just really enjoyed that. But that's not the only time my wife and I talk through the day. 
In fact, we, we kind of have the running text message thread. And something hits us funny, something uh, is a little quirky. We know, right, how that works. And those, those little, little moments where we're connected in small ways through the day. And that's really what prayer is, is that daily practice of saying, hey, I'm going to have my, my moment that's intentional. And then I'm going to have my moment that's just incorporated through the day. Posture, practice, and power. The power of prayer is not so much in what God does. It's more in how God transforms. Many times we go to prayer because we want to move the hand of God, but really what God wants to do is change our hearts. The power of prayer really isn't so much about coming with my list of, hey God, can you work this out for me? Can you bail me out of this? Can you fix this? It's way more about, can we just hang out for a minute and be together? It's consistent prayer. We're also dynamically engaged in worship. Worship is a very simple thing, just recognizing the worth of God. Recognizing the worth of God. In worship, we encounter God a little differently than we do in prayer. If you were to read the little passages, the little, little moments when we get a little glimpse of heaven, almost all of them contain moments of worship where the, the body of Christ, the people of God are gathered around Jesus and they're worshiping God. And so listen, every time we gather in worship, what we're doing is we're practicing for heaven. Every time we gather in worship, we're actually getting a foretaste. We're getting a little bit of, of an advanced expression of what heaven is. We get a little bit of heaven. So as we gain time in worship, as we, we hit that, that playlist on our way into work, or we, we make that, that worship time a part of our life, what we're doing is we're, we're experiencing a little bit of what God's planning for in the future. So we're consistent in prayer. We're dynamically engaged in worship, and we're growing in the Word. I love uh, the little Bible that's each one each family is going to get on their way out. This, this is a great expression of what God has done through, through salvation history as we take in another step here this morning. This great little tool. The Bible has such powerful um, ability to change our lives. The Bible is primarily and first and foremost the self-revelation of God to humanity. That means if you want to know him, you want to know about him, you want to be with him, you've got to be in this book because God took great effort to make this work over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, and three different languages. He, he called all of this together to show us how he, who he is and how he operates in the world. The Bible has an unbelievable ability to transform us. In fact, uh, there was a study done a few years ago by uh, a large organization. They did a large study uh, about the effects of reading the Bible on the lives of people. And here's what they found. If you will read your Bible four times a week for 15 minutes each time, four times a week for 15 minutes each time, they found that it had profound effects on your life. Of those that were surveyed, 23% were more likely to disciple others. Two, 228, you, were, you are 228 more like, percent more likely to share your faith. You're 407% more likely to memorize scripture. You're 59% less likely to view pornography. You're 30% less likely to feel loneliness. You're 74% less likely to gamble away your money. You're 68% less likely to have sex outside of marriage. And you're 57% less likely to be bound up in the struggle of alcohol addiction. The word of God has power. The word of God has power. And for some of you in this room, you've, you've never really had this as a part of your life. And so the very first step you need to take is you can just download the Bible app 
Get on a reading plan, right? But for some of you, your, your next step is actually very different. You need to press in a little bit further. You've got a good rhythm, but you need to lean in a little bit more. Study a little differently. Engage something you haven't engaged before. Regardless of where you are this morning, though, all of us can take steps toward intimacy. As the worship team comes this morning, I want you to take out your phones. Now, some of you have already taken out your phones. I want you to close Facebook and go to your notes app, okay? Um, <laughs> I know how this goes, right? I want you to um, put together a plan this morning. See, I, I believe we, wanna, we want God to to transform our hearts. I believe we want to be in that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I think you want closeness with him. And to make that actually work, we're going to have to have a plan. So you might grab that notes app. You might begin to type out some stuff. What are you, what are you going to do? How, how can you be consistent in prayer? What are, what are some of the spaces and places in your life that need to be added or taken away to make that happen? Write those things down. Don't waste this moment. Don't miss what God wants to do in your life. Some of you may need to actually um, open up the messaging app and text somebody. Because you realize that, um, man, if I try to do this alone, <laughs> I've tried that before and it didn't work. But here, if you pull somebody in with you, man, your likelihood of success skyrockets. So you need to actually text somebody, maybe that's even in the room here this morning and say, hey, would you journey with me? Would you, would you jump on a reading plan with me? Would you, would you pray with me in the mornings? Would you do, make that message happen right now. Some of you may need to open up your calendar because man, one of the things that I commonly hear from all sources is, oh, I really want to, but man, all of a sudden life gets crowded out and it's just stuff happens. And so what you need to do is you need to create some appointments in your calendar. Remember, we don't want to confuse the plan for the purpose. You're going to put a plan into motion. Remember the purpose. God wants to be close to you. God wants to draw near to you in intimacy. God's purpose for your life is to be close. Now, in a room this size, I know there are folks who have been to church here. I've met some of them for, for decades and decades. And then some of you may have been here for the very first time this morning. In fact, you may not have been in church for a very long time. Maybe you came to, to watch a baptism or you, you came because of the invitation of a friend. Maybe this is the first time in your life or maybe the first time in a long time you've ever heard that the God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence and spun it all together, wants to be close to you. In fact, it's easy to think that your life is insignificant and meaningless and no one really sees you or knows you. But I've got good news. The God of the universe enacted a rescue plan for humanity. You saw it demonstrated just a few moments ago on that video where he took on our sin and he conquered it. And he gave us a pathway back to him so yes, we get eternal life with life, but we, most importantly, we get eternal life with him, to be with him forever. 
So if you're here this morning and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to do that here in just a moment as the worship team sings. The cool thing is, is that you don't have to pray a prayer that's um, all put together. Um, There's no magical formula. All you have to say is, Jesus, I'm far from you and I want to be close. And I believe you've made a way for that to happen. In your own way, in your own words, take a step toward him. For those that have followed Jesus for some time, in a moment we're going to sing a song that just says that, draw me close. I just want you to to lean in. Remember, worship is a moment when we get to have a little taste of heaven. What it's like to be with Jesus. So uh, would you stand with me across this place this morning? I'm going to pray and they're going to lead us in a time of worship. Would you, would you just lean in right now and begin to ask God to move in your life, to draw you close? Heavenly Father, we come to you now and we just pray for these next few moments. God, as we take a very small step here today to just sing these songs together, God, would you, would you draw close to us as we draw close to you? God, I pray for those that, that want to be, that just so desperate to be close to you, to be, have an intimate relationship with you. God, would you show yourself real to them this morning? God, I pray for those who right now are taking that first step towards you and they're saying, hey Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to be the Lord and Savior, the the leader of my life. Would you be close to them? God, would you do something in these next few minutes that is radical and real that we might be changed by your presence? In Jesus' name. Let's sing these songs or song together. Draw me close to you Never let me go I lay it all down again To hear you say that I'm your friend You were my desire No one else will do Cause nothing else could take your place To feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find your way Bring me back to you
Thank you, God. Can we just lift our hearts to the Lord this morning? Thank you, Lord. In your own way, in your own words, can you just lift your praise to God? Oh, thank you, God. You're good. You're loving. You're kind. Praise you, God. On your way out here, you're going to get, uh, every family is going to get one of those Bibles that was referenced this morning. Make sure you take that and use that to share Jesus with somebody else. If you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ here this morning, I want to encourage you to go out to the Welcome Center and somebody's going to be there to help you take your next steps in your journey with Jesus. But can we just take a moment and close in prayer? As God send us, sends us from this place, I want to pray that God would draw us close to him because that will change your life more than anything else. Would you join me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, we come to you in the strong name of Jesus Christ. God, our hearts are full this morning because none of us ever think that we deserve to be close to you. It actually baffles us that you would want to be close to us. But we're grateful. We're grateful. God, we're thankful today that there are those who are taking their first steps toward Jesus. And we're also thankful that everyone can take their next step toward Jesus. So God, I just pray for this week. God, whether it's Monday morning, whether it's Wednesday afternoon or Friday at lunch, no matter where it is or when it is or how it's all functioning, God, would you, would you help everybody here just to be a little bit closer to you this week? God, would you help everybody to begin to, to take those kind of steps that are needed to be taken to put good rhythms in to have the extraordinary intimacy that we talked about here today? God, we pray that you would lead us and guide us as we go from this place by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen and amen. We'll see you next week, guys.